know that you are the sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. So we know that your plan will hold true. And Lord, we are also so grateful and thankful that, that we are those that have been redeemed by you, that we are your own children and that your plan includes us. That you have very specific personal plans for each one of us. And Lord, though we struggle to comprehend it, Lord, we know that you have plans for us even here today, plans that you set forth and designed in eternity past. Placing before us today this day and these things and that we would simply walk in them. Lord, our desire today is as we continue worshiping you by studying your word now, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to the truth that you desire to reveal to each one of us. Lord, we know that we are all in different places, going through different things in our, in our personal lives and in our personal walks with you. So Lord, meet us right where we are, each one of us. Have your way as we study your word together today, that you would be glorified in all things and in every heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Hey, if you brought a Bible today, please take it out and open it up with me to Romans chapter 5. And if you did not bring a Bible with you today, please grab one from under a seat in front of you. Romans chapter 5. If you don't own a Bible, please take that one home with you after the service. We'd like that to be our gift to you and that it would be something that you truly are in every day, God's living word. Romans chapter five, we come to a section in this amazing letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Rome. And we come to this point that many commentators argue is possibly the most difficult little section in the letter. Um, it's one of those that to just read through it just read from verse 12 through 21. You can, it, it's, it's pretty complex. And quite honestly, it can be a little confusing too if you just kind of read straight through it. That, we did that even earlier this week. Christina and I in our time together in the mornings, uh, usually on Monday morning, that's how we'll start the week together. I'll read through the, the text and, and we start talking through that. And I read it out, out loud to her as we were going through it. And at the end, I said, man, how, how, are we, how am I going to even start to do this this week? And Because to again, read through it, it's like, wow, what did I just read? What, what's all in there? I don't know if anybody else has been like this first service. I don't think anybody else could relate. But have you ever put, just stuck so much food in your mouth you couldn't chew? Am, am I the only one? I mean, I, you go to a buffet and it's just so much and you, get, and you, can't, you, know, you can't chew it because your mouth's so full. Well, I, reading through this whole thing in one chunk is kind of like that to me. So we're not going to do that. We're going to take little bite-sized pieces as we move through um, the section today. And it's, it's one of those things that, that I don't know that we'll ever, ever in eternity to go up in heaven, we'll ever be able to grasp the depth of what is, we're going to talk about today. 
But the amazing part about God's word is we don't have to completely understand the brevity of it to enjoy the full benefits of it. I mean, there's a lot of things like that in our lives that are like that. I mean, the fact that we're breathing and our hearts are all beating and all that kind of stuff. We don't have to understand exactly how that all works to enjoy the benefits of it. I can see every single one of you are obeying the laws of gravity. And again, we enjoy the benefits of that without having to fully understand it. So we're going to go through this together today, but again, and I hope at the end that we can all come to that place where we can just absolutely rejoice in the, in the simplicity that is here as we navigate through it as well. So follow along with me. We're going to take our first little bite here, beginning in verse 12, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, therefore... Just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. The first place I believe we need to start before we even push off from shore here as we look at this together is notice how Paul is speaking of, and he says this one man, and he said, then he names that man Adam. It's important that we understand he is referring to the Adam that we read of in the first couple of chapters of the book of Genesis. And I make a point of that because, guys, when we, when we hold God's word in our hand, every word of it, beginning to end, is factual. It's not allegorical. The the book of Genesis, the first part, when we look at creation and and Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden, that's not a fable that we can just draw neat, neat things out of. It's factual. It's historical. And we're gonna see as we look at this now and we start to unpack this, it is foundational from the very beginning. The, the, the world around us will try to convince us that, it, that it, it can't possibly be true because of all of this fossil evidence or whatever, all of these things. Guys, the word of God is, is a fact. It is absolutely certain. Just over 6,000 years ago, God created the heavens and the earth. We do not have to plug in millions and billions of years anywhere and all that kind of stuff. We don't have time to go into all of that today as we have in the past. That, that makes no sense. Evolution, all of that makes no sense. The only logical conclusion is that creator God said, let there be just as it says in his word. And we see in his word, beginning right off, that God created the heavens and the earth and he created the earth and he made it perfect. And then he placed man in it. And he placed man in the garden. And he, placed, and he gave rule to man. He says, you take care of it. I'm putting you in charge. And he gave him one rule to, that he says, you can eat from any tree that you want. Just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, if you eat from that tree, you will surely die. And Adam completely understood, yet he chose to disobey God. He chose to defiantly disobey God and eat from that tree, knowing full well, again, had full knowledge, knew exactly what he was doing, and he knew the consequences when he did it. Now, that being said, as we kind of set up here, notice it says here that just as though through one man sin entered the world, 
that's not the first sin. The first sin was, was Satan and the angels rebelling against God, but sin entering the world through this one man, the word there, sin, is singular. It is not sins, plural. Sins didn't enter the world through Adam. Sin entered the world through Adam. And we're gonna talk about that here at the beginning. That is what was often referred to as original sin or our sin nature. That sin that is passed on, notice that, that it is passed on through all. This is the inherited nature that we receive because Adam, the first man, the, the, we all descend from him, his sin, and we have all inherited that sin nature through him. It is passed on, it is inherited by all of us. He didn't just sin as a man, he sinned as man. And because we are descendants of him, that nature comes to us. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We're not liars because we lie. We are liars because our heart is desperately wicked. We are selfish because who can understand our, how, how evil our hearts is? Selfish hearts that we have. That is our nature that is inherited. And we don't have to go very far in a demonstration or an illustration of that because anybody who is a parent, anybody who is a grandparent, how many of you had to teach your children to lie? How many of you sat down one day and said, if you're ever gonna get ahead in this world, you're gonna have to stop being so honest? I mean, you're never gonna make it to the top of your kindergarten class you keep sharing with everybody. You're gonna have to be a whole lot more selfish. None of us had to do that, right? As a matter of fact, we had to sit down and tell them to tell the truth. We had to tell them not to be so self-centered and so self-focused. Tells us that sin entered the world, it passed on death through sin. Death, separation, that initial spiritual separation from God, a change in the relationship with God. Prior to Adam's sin, he had a relationship with God that was unlike any other. But the moment that he sinned, there was a separation. There was a, a change in that relationship, an immediate spiritual separation. But not just spiritual death. We all know and understand physical death. That eventual physical separation between, from one another as human beings. Everyone in the room, no doubt, has experienced that. Losing someone in death. And should the Lord tarry and, and, and not rapture the church out of here in, in the rest of our lifetime, every one of us will experience physical death as well. But not only spiritual death and, and physical death, eternal death entered the world through this. That, that, that death that is the separation from the love and the grace and the mercy of God facing the wrath of God forever in hell. And again, notice it spread to all men. Notice this, because all sinned. What he is saying there is not it spread to all of us because we all sin. That is true, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, but that's not what he's talking about. Again, he's continuing to lay this foundation of the sin nature that is passed on to us. What he's saying is we all sinned, every single one of us, in Adam when he sinned. When he defiantly broke God's command, we all sinned in that. Now, I find it interesting that Paul does not go into a great detailed explanation about that. 
I wonder if it partly is because he didn't fully understand it either. Again, this, this, whole, this whole concept of how it comes down to us. And I wonder if Paul didn't wrestle with it like I'm sure many of you are and I have myself. How is that fair? That I am held accountable for Adam's sin. How is it that, that somehow because he sinned all of those many years ago and it got passed on all the way down to me, how come, how come I am held accountable for that? I mean, I can sin on my own, thank you very much. Why, why are we talking about that? Well, bottom line, because it's the truth of God's word. That is what he said. And that is what he is outlining for us here. Again, it's, a, it's an understanding that we all need to come through, because, come to, because it is God's word. And it is a foundational truth, as we will build on it from here, that we are all sinners, yes, but we have all inherited this sin nature from the very beginning. David believed this. He writes in Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. He's not talking about his mother's sin conceiving him. He's talking about the fact that when he was conceived, he, was, uh, he, he inherited that sin nature. It came to him at the moment of conception. Psalm 58, verse 3, The wicked are estranged from the womb, these who speak lies, note, go astray from birth. And when we start talking about birth and, and children and, and infants and babies, the question is often asked, so if a baby dies, an infant dies, do they go to heaven? I absolutely believe they go to heaven, absolutely. But it is not because they're innocent. It is not because they are, they, they are guiltless. It is because we have a merciful and gracious Heavenly Father. I, they're not innocent. Now, I know, I know I'm going to be out there after the service, and I'm going to have some of you moms come up to me and say, well, you haven't met my baby yet. <laughs> Obviously, you haven't, you haven't seen my cute little bundle of joy. And <laughs> cute as they are, believe me, I've had, I've had children. I have grandchildren. I get it. But the truth of the matter is, they're not innocent. And when you're sitting there looking at them, oh, you're so cute with that little temper tantrum. Oh, let me get my camera. I got to, oh, I got to put this on Facebook and, you know, and, and get that whole thing going. You know what's going through their mind? Give me that bottle now. I don't care about your, give me, oh, if I could only just, oh. Just saying. Because that's what, that's what comes to all of us. That's the sin nature that we inherit. And he says in verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. When he says not imputed, that does not mean that it wasn't committed. That does not mean that they weren't even convicted. This time frame from Adam all the way until God gave Moses the, the, the law on Mount Sinai, all of that, that time frame in between there, the world wasn't perfect. They, they, the sin was committed and they were convicted of it inherently. Yes, we inherit the sin nature, but we also, every one of us know, going all the way back, that we know right from wrong. Even though it wasn't a written law given then, we knew that we, that we break God's law. We, you just turn the page in, in Genesis, Cain and Abel. We see that. Cain determined, he's, he's upset, he's angry that his brother's sacrifice was accepted and his wasn't. And God comes to him in Genesis chapter four and says, if you do well, 
will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, note, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And then once he goes forward and he commits it, he kills his brother. He knew he sinned. Even He knew killing his brother was a sin even before God said, thou shalt not kill. He knew it. How do we know he, would, he knew it? Because he lied about it. God said, Where, where's your brother? He said, how do I know? Is my day to watch him? I didn't know I'm supposed to be watching him. I don't have any idea. He knew exactly. Obviously, he'd killed his brother, trying to cover it up, trying to hide it. This term that is here where it says it is not imputed, that's, a, that's an, an accounting term, kind of an understanding of when you finally put all things into, into columns or a budget, you understand the fullness of, of the, the, the situation. You knew that was going on, but until you kind of put it right there, imagine you know a young couple, they get married, they start out together, they move into a little apartment, they each have their job, and, but they start buying things and they start doing all this other kind of stuff and then they decide, you know what, we're gonna go and get a house. So they apply for the loan and they get, they get the rejection letter back and they don't quite understand. They sit down with a financial advisor and they put it in the columns, doing a budget. They said, oh, didn't change their situation but now it's right in front of them. A mirror does not make your face dirty. A thermometer does not give you a fever. But when, you, when, you, the, when, you, when it's put in front of you, and that type of thing, that's the law, and that's what it meant being, being imputed there. It's, it's there, but it wasn't imputed. It wasn't put in front of them then. But then he says here that, that death reigned. Nevertheless, death reigned. Comes in through sin, outside of two men, Enoch and Elijah, who God has special plans for, Death is batting a 1,000. Everyone who has lived eventually died. And the situation is helpless, hopeless. Paul introduces this interesting concept now as he can, we transition in verse 14, speaking of Adam here, he says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, didn't commit the same sin as Adam, but inherit the nature through him. But he says this, who is a type of him who was to come, a type, a picture, a foreshadow of him who is to come, that him being Jesus. And we, we can see right away easily some, some parallels, some similarities between Adam and Jesus, both completely sinless and morally righteous from the beginning. Adam was created sinless and morally righteous. He did not he wasn't created with the sin nature. Jesus, obviously we know as our heavenly representative coming out of heaven, sinless, perfect, morally righteous, pure, absolutely. Both of them were tempted by evil. Both represent all of humanity. Adam as our earthly father, the one from which we have all descended from Adam, and Jesus, again, our heavenly representative, the one who came out of heaven, our king, stepping off of his throne in heaven, coming to become one of us. And both did something that has consequences for all mankind. That is where the similarities end. Because Paul will pick that up from here moving forward. We are all in this helpless, hopeless situation 
inheriting this sin nature, and then verse 15 starts off with that great word, but. As I've mentioned to you before, I love the buts of the Bible, especially these when it's starting to get, because we're absolutely standing here, what can we do about this? You might, again, be saying that this isn't fair. I didn't ask to be in this situation. I didn't, how is it fair that I am, I, I receive this through Adam? But the bottom line is, that's the truth. If you get the bad news from your doctor or, or whatever it might be, you might say, well, that's not fair. Bottom line is, it's still there. But here again is the glorious part, but, but, notice as he moves forward, but the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. If you are a note taker, if you underline things in your Bible, underline much more and abound. Because when we start comparing again these things, we'll see that it's not a direct line-to-line comparison. Yes, we've already touched on this and, and, and talked about this for the last few minutes, the great impact of Adam's transgression on our lives. But when we see this much more abounding, Jesus' free gift of grace is immeasurably greater, the impact that it has on us. God's grace is far greater than sin. Not just Adam's, again, not that just that we inherit, but all history's accumulation of sin. Every sin ever committed, Jesus took on himself when he went to the cross. He speaks of it here as a gift. He mentions that a couple of times here in verse 15, a gift. We've all received gifts from time to time from individuals, and regardless of the heart that was behind some of the gifts, there are gifts that we consider more dear or greater than others. And probably no doubt whenever the gift comes, when there is a need for what is given, that gift kind of goes right, right to the top. I mean, we could go even, even to a big example of that. If you're in desperate need of transportation to get back and forth to school or to work and somebody gives you a car, I mean, that, wow, right on. That, that, that's better than, than when, you, when you're a little hungry and somebody gives you a candy bar, right? I mean, the, the need, the greater the need and that gift that is given. Guys, our greatest need is life because we all face death. And that's what Jesus gives us. That is the gift that is given to us, eternal life. This life that abounds to many. Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it, note, abundantly. Abundantly. That is why he came. That is the gift that comes to us Life, yes, but eternal life, abundant life, that life begins in the moment that we are born again. Not someday in heaven, the moment we are born again, that life comes to us, that abundant life that is ours. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond what we ask or think, according note, to the power that works within us. Born again believers, the power of Christ in us far more abundantly beyond what we could ask or think. 
Verse 16, the gift, again, he keeps coming back. It's not like, it's it, comparing the two. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in con condemnation. Again, he drives home the point. Our condemnation came from that one sin. Even if we had never sinned again ourselves, condemnation came to us through that sin. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. Not one of us can say, I stand guilty alone because of Adam's sin. We've all piled on our own on top of all of that. But because it's, it's, it makes the point, condemnation came from the one sin. Justification trumps all of those sins, all of ours on top of his. Now, I want to take a moment. We looked at the gift for a moment. Let's look at the giver as we see a couple of truths here about the giver in verse 16. He is absolutely holy, our heavenly father. He is totally pure. He is completely righteous. And the two truths that we see here, first, he hates sin. He can't condone it. He can't tolerate it. He hates it so much, again, that one sin, one sin condemned the entire human race. And whether you want to, want to jump on board with that or not, guys, that is the inconvenient truth. Every one of us stands guilty because of that. Judgment arose from the one transgression. But as much as he hates sin, he loves sinners more. He provides redemption, justification for the entire human race. And that is the incomprehensible truth. When we want to talk about what's fair and what's not fair, what's not fair is that you and I stand declared righteous. That's not fair. Yet that is what comes to us much more abundantly, abounding to us. Verse 17 for if by the transgression of one, death reigned through the one, much more, there it is again, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Again, death reigning, ruling around us. We see it everywhere. Death is all around us. Not just in human beings, but death everywhere. When we get to Romans chapter 8, we're going to see all of creation is groaning under the weight of death. And all of creation dying, decomposing, slowing down, breaking down because of that initial sin. Hebrews chapter 2, though, says this, therefore, because we are all slaves to, to death, all of us facing this, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus himself, likewise also partook of the same, becoming one of us, that through death, his death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might, note this, free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Death, ruling, reigning, master over us. We are slaves to that, but we are set free through Jesus. Free from that. He fully experienced death, my death, your death, so that we might fully experience eternal life. Jesus says, John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, 
He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Adam's one act brought judgment, brought death to all, all mankind. But Jesus' one act brought life to whoever would believe, whoever would accept by faith his, his work on our behalf. Paul will write to Timothy, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who, note, abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. As we continue to, to unpack this and look at this, you know, death reigned, but the gift of righteousness will reign in life. We see, we talked about a gift. Even going back, let's go back to that car example. You, 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 you need transportation. You got to get back and forth from school or to work, and somebody gives you a car, and you're so grateful for that gift, and it's such a blessing, and you're using it every day, and you're relying on that, that gift to get you back and forth, and then one day you come out from work or come out from school, and the car is stolen, or you get in an accident, and the car is totaled. Guys, we see in this verse that death is abolished and brings about life and immortality. Guys, the power of sin can be broken, but the power of Christ, eternal life, cannot be broken. It cannot be taken away from you. It is a gift that can never be relinquished. It can never be stolen. It, can never, it can't fade away. On Wednesday nights, we go through the Old Testament verse by verse. And we just this last week in worship, we sang one of my favorite songs ahead of time, In Christ Alone. And one of the verses, again, it's just been kind of going through my head ever since Wednesday, and I was singing it in my office the other day. And I do that. I sing it out loud in my office. I don't hear because, you know, but in my office, joyful noise. But anyway, Singing through, it just wouldn't leave me. And I just said, man, this is just so, this is exactly what we're talking about here. The, the verse goes this, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Death doesn't anymore. Jesus does. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here, in the power of Christ, I stand. I free you all to say hallelujah. <laughs> Guys, that is what this is. Yes, we can sit here and say, you know what, I'm still hung up on this verse 12. How come I'm stuck holding on to a sin that Adam said, would I, could, can I just lovingly tell you, get over that and get up here, get on to where we are now because guys, we have been given this gift. Death has no more power over us. We are alive in Christ. We have abundant life in Christ. And if it couldn't get better, verse 18 
So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. Here he's speaking again. Notice, made sinners, again, through this transgression of Adam, were made sinners. But through the obedience of Jesus to go to the cross on our behalf, we are made righteous. Adam's disobedience, we inherit the sin nature. We're born sinners. But through Jesus' obedience, we are given a new nature. We are born again righteous. A new nature is given to us. It's not just a, a change externally. It's a transformation that takes place. Keep your, keep your finger here and turn with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Beginning in verse 2, Peter says this, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become, notice, partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Inherited a sin nature through Adam, through Christ we inherit a new nature, a divine nature. We change natures. We're no longer what we were. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature. The old is dead. New things have come. I, I think it's important, bearing just to touch this real quickly. Notice Peter says this, multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. He goes on to say later, the true knowledge of him. That's why it's so important that we spend time in God's word, reading it, studying it. That's why we go through it the way that we do. The true knowledge of God. Understanding again that through that, grace and peace are multiplied. I love God's math. Doesn't say added. Multiplied. Everything pertaining to life and godliness is ours through the true knowledge of him. It's been given to us. We have it through the true knowledge of him. We understand how to appropriate it. The precious and magnificent promises, guys, his word is full of them. His desire is to pour them out even more upon us. His promises that by his own glory and excellence, it tells us here. But here it is, partakers of the divine nature. No longer sinners because we inherited that nature, righteous because we inherit the divine nature. Having escaped, no longer slaves to sin and death. 
no longer helpless when it comes to battling our flesh and battling the world and and battling our pride and, and all of these things. Guys, we have been rescued, saved, delivered, not just from the penalty of sin, yes, Jesus paid that in full, but from the power of sin. We can walk in the newness of life. We no longer have to be stuck in that. We have power that comes to us through this. That's why he says, it's not like the transgression. This is much more. It's not just the, 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 the debt paid on the transgression and the sin. We have power over it now in our lives to walk in the newness of this life. Many people have said to me and said to others that, you know, as we go through something like this, it, I've had talks with other pastors that come up and say, man, you, you talk about grace too much. You got to be careful. You talk about grace too much. People are going to think they can just keep sinning all that they want and they'll be okay and everything's covered by grace and da, da, da. Yeah, okay, I can understand the, the danger in that. And Paul almost anticipates that. Back in Romans, we'll get into this next week. There is no chapter break, by the way. Paul continues on where we'll pick up next week, but verse one of chapter six, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that may, grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Great question. Why in the world would we want to? Why in the world would we want to go back to that? We've been delivered from it. We have the power over that, and I, chapter six, as we get into that next week, and walking this out, sanctification, the process that is continuing to work in and through us. Guys, the bottom line is, all of us inherit this sin nature, and then pile on our own sin on top of that. But God, but God, because he loved us so much, sent his son to take care of that, to pay that penalty for us. So that not only is the penalty paid, but the power over, it is, over us is broken. If you're here today and you've never taken that step to submit and surrender your life to Jesus, trusting in him and him alone for your salvation, today can be the day that you're freed that the power and the penalty of sin is broken in your life. And you might say, well, you have no idea the sin in my life, in my past, in my present. You're right, I don't. But God does, and he loves you, and he is here today to say, you just trust me with it. I will, I, I will give you power over that today. You can be freed from that today. Verse 20, as we finish up in Romans chapter 5, notice, the law came in so that transgression would increase. Not, not that that made us sin more, but again, going back to that thing where we now see it. God gave us the law. It's written out before us, those things that are there. But notice, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You can't out-sin God's grace. His grace is greater. His blood that was shed for you will wash away every sin, as we sang earlier. So that, verse 21, as, in sin reign, as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
are absolutely holy, totally pure, completely righteous, almighty God, heavenly Father, sent Jesus, his son, to live the guiltless, sinless life that we can't, to die the death we deserve. To rise again victorious, claiming new life on our behalf. And to provide for us a completely new kind of existence. To give us a new nature. But it has to be received. It's a free gift, but we have to receive it through faith. In Genesis, most of you, if not all of you, know the story. The moment Adam sinned, he knew it. The moment Adam sinned, he knew he blew it. Everything changed that moment. And it tells us that in an effort to try to, to, try to cover up his sin, he, he sewed together fig leaves. He realized he was naked for the first time, and he tried to cover himself with something that he was trying to manufacture himself to cover. And then, then it tells us that he was hiding from God in the garden. And God, it tells us, was walking through the garden and called out to Adam, Adam, where are you? And it wasn't because God didn't know he was hiding right behind that tree over there. When he said, where are you? It was an invitation for Adam to come out of hiding. To come out on his own. To come before his God and, and to confess that sin and to, and to fall upon the mercy of God. And if you're here today and you've never taken that step to trust Jesus with your life, You've, never, you've never, fully get, con, never fully confessed your sin, never given your life to him. He is calling out to your heart right now, where are you? And it's not because he doesn't know every sin, every thought. He knows exactly what you're thinking right now. It's an invitation for you to come out of hiding. It's an invitation for you to stop trying to cover it up yourself and to simply receive the gift of grace that he extends to you today. For the rest of us in here today, I hope that as we, just, as we just spend even just a little more time here this morning worshiping God, that this, would, that this praise would just come out of us. It's, it's, it's hard for me sometimes to, to hold it in. Guys, we're set free. We're no longer slaves we no longer have to keep fighting all of these things. We, we stand in the grace of God and in the power of God. We have victory over the things in our lives, the sin that so easily entangles us. We can throw that aside now. Before, we couldn't. We can run with endurance the race that is set before us. Before, we couldn't. We can fix our eyes on Jesus. Before, we couldn't. Let's worship him and give him the praise and the honor he's due, amen? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. And if that is you that I'm speaking to this morning, and more importantly, the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart right now, and you realize you've never, you have never taken that step fully to trust Jesus, You've never been born again. Today he is calling out to you. And it is a matter of simply responding in your heart, saying, God, I understand even more clearly. I thank you for revealing it to me today. 
that I am a sinner. I've inherited a sin nature, yes, but God, I've, I've made a mess of things myself. I'm tired of hiding, tired of trying to cover it up, tired of pretending to be something I'm not, trying to pretend to be something I can't be. Jesus, would you come into my life right now? I ask that you would do what you promised you would. That's to give me eternal life, washing away all of my sin. I trust you. I give you control. And Lord Jesus, the rest of us here today, we, the more, we, the more time we spend in this truth, the more amazed we are of who you are and what you did. And again, we, we inherited this nature, but God, we're all sinners. We, we continually pile on this, and yet you died for us. You, you paid the full debt for us. You rose again to show that this victory is ours. We're no longer slaves, we're free. Lord, we desire to just sing your praises, but Lord, that our lives would be an act of praise going forward from here, giving you the praise and the glory you're due. We thank you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Who breaks the 